hello, 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 and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. You can hear the Katie Helper Show on SoundCloud, on iTunes, and please rate and review us there. On today's episode, I speak to not one, but two guests. I speak to Timothy Higginbotham about Elizabeth Warren's plan to pay for Medicare for All. You'll hear Timothy mention Matt Brunig. So then I bring you an interview I did with Matt Brunig. Make sure that you go to patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show to hear the Patreon-only interview I do with Matt Brunig in which he responds to your questions on Twitter and talks to me about the Bernie Bro narrative and Working Families Party. Talking to a guest and it's his debut on the Katie Helper Show. So you guys should all write this date down and... um, it's going to be a pretty big game changer, I think, uh, if I do say so myself. Um, and we are speaking to none other than Tim Higginbotham. Botham or Bottom? It's, uh, it's Botham. Botham, okay. It sounds so yeah. much like, it's, it's much more Dickensian the other way. But anyway, <laughs> um, Tim Higginbotham, who is an organizer with DSA, he is also a an active um, organizer on their Medicare for All campaign. He lives in Anchorage, Alaska, and he is a contributor to Jacobin. And we're actually going to be talking to him today about his piece on Elizabeth Warren's Medicare for All plan. So welcome, Tim. Yeah, thanks for having me, Katie. Now, you're Tim in real life, but your name on Twitter is... Single Pair Tom. Single Pair Tom. Uh, yeah, just kind of a stem from a typo, and I never really changed it. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I thought it was, I was going to be like, I'm not sure that's the best like, pseudonym <laughs> if you're named Tim to go with Tom. Um, yeah. But now I know it was, it's not a gnome de guerre. It's actually a uh, peacetime uh, typo. Yeah, it's, it's concretized now, so I can't really change it. Right. That's funny. Yeah. Well, I actually, my, my handle is KT Helps because none other than Marcos Mulitsas, who, uh, unfollowed me on Twitter, but we used to be friends. I'm speaking of the founder of Daily Post, uh, told me that Katie Halper was too long. Um, and it's true, it does help you get more characters in there when you have a shorter name, but um, I probably would have just kept Katie Halper. Anyway, um, welcome to the show. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah, of course. Tell us about um, Warren's healthcare plan. Well, so Warren's been, you know, like extremely ambiguous on healthcare throughout this campaign. She's never talked about any details of the plan. She's just said, I'm for Medicare for all, which is similar to something a lot of candidates have done before backing away. So this is really one of the first times where we've gotten explicit details from Warren. And to her credit, she does seem to be talking about Bernie's bill for the most part in her financing plan. But this is really just talking about raising the money necessary to fund Medicare for all, which is, uh, you know, at its core, just a media trap. It's not really an important talking point. We've known for a long time how to fund the program. Because you write in your piece, which is in Jacobin, you say the real obstacle is not the cost as those immersed in the fight for single payer understand well, but the battle we'll need to wage against insurance companies, drug companies, and the political establishment in order to take public control over what's rightfully ours. Um, yeah. Yeah. So tell us about how, I mean, that's a pretty strong, the, the narrative that how are we going to pay for it or you need a plan for that is pretty strong even among pro, quote unquote progressives. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't even mean that in a cynical way. I don't, I think it's just such a, it's such an oft repeated um, mantra that's, that's prepared by the media that even people who aren't cynical think that that's true. Um, yeah. So how do you respond to that? Well, it just stems from attacks from the right. I mean, you could produce as many economic studies as you want showing exactly how easy it would be to pay for Medicare for all, which has been done. Um, But Joe Biden and and Amy Klobuchar and and obviously Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell are going to be saying, oh, it's too expensive. It's going to cost $32 trillion. We're never going to be able to afford it. Um, But the fact is, as Bernie says repeatedly, uh, it'll cost trillions of dollars less than our current system. We're the richest country on earth. We obviously have these funds. What we're currently paying into Medicare, Medicaid, and the VA will get us over two-thirds of the way there already. And what everyone is contributing in private dollars to insurance companies is far more than what we'll need to raise to fund this program. So it's it's just a bogus talking point, really. Right. 
it kind of do you know Carl Bayer? Yeah, yeah, of course. So it, 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 it I interviewed him about his Green New um, Deal, um, Global Green New Deal piece uh, that he wrote. It was like a policy piece for um, People's Policy Project, and it was interesting because it was kind of a similar thing, except he actually went through the way to fund it. Mm-hmm. But his point was like, okay, let's let's just. It was a little different. His point was like, let's just get this out of the way because we can fund it, and now we just actually have to fight for it. Mm-hmm. And which, which yeah. you know, has has been done for Medicare for all too, to be clear. Right. It's just that Sanders isn't um, focusing on that as much because he knows that uh, the, the more important thing is the messaging. Yeah, he doesn't want to get trapped into this into this debate about funding when that's already been covered. He wants to focus on the opponent, the real opponents of Medicare for all, which is you know the Democratic establishment, the insurance companies. And uh, when you get bogged down in this like bogus funding conversation, you you lose track of the of the real obstacles. He's got a list of uh, proposed taxes okay. um, that his uh, his Senate office put out, and he talks about a payroll tax on employers, a percentage based payroll tax, which is which is uh, far more progressive than the than the tax that Warren is proposing. Right. And, uh, you know, he talks about the various ways you can fund it. He tells audiences and debates that, yeah, you know, it's it's reasonable to say that taxes are going to go up a little bit, but you're going to erase all of these private contributions you're giving to insurance companies and out-of-pocket to hospitals, and uh, you're going to replace those with a much smaller tax, and right. the system's going to cost less overall, so it's going to save working people overall. Right. Okay, one question I have, not to sound like a conservative um, or a naysayer, but why can't the taxes just go up on the super, 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 super wealthy instead of the middle class? You know, there's a few different ways of looking at it. Uh, you could, I mean, you could do an, an ultra high wealth tax. Uh, I do think that that might be a, a bit of a political non-starter for such mm-hmm. an urgent program. Mm-hmm. Um, you get two thirds of the way there already with your current public spending. Uh, you save a bunch on administration by moving to Medicare for all, but there's going to be this this uh, this remaining gap right. that you're going to have to cover somehow realistically. Right. And you know, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with saying that. And, and Sanders exempts the first twenty nine thousand dollars of a person's income, so people who are currently like you know Medicaid eligible wouldn't have to pay right. into it. But uh, I think it's reasonable to say that yeah, you know, if you're if you're paying if you're making sixty thousand dollars. And your taxes go up nine hundred dollars, but you're saving ten thousand that you're currently spending. That's uh, a pretty sweet deal, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I guess it's more politically not to sound Jesus. I sound like such a Clintonite or, or Warrenite <laughs> or something, but I guess it's more politically expedient, more realistic to say that a small, you know, a small tax on um, the middle class that ultimately saves them money. Right mm-hmm. is better than a what will be is an easier fight than a huge tax on the the uber wealthy. Is that what you were saying in terms of? Yeah, and like you know, we got to be clear that even though the uber wealthy do own like a huge, like absurd, insane percentage of the money in this country, uh, so does the bottom ninety eight percent, like in total. So to draw at least a little right. bit from that half of the nation's wealth, I think is, is fair to do. And there's also something to be said for like solidaristic funding. I think, um, the NHS, when they, when they launched their program in 19, in 1948, just distributed this leaflet on everybody's doorstep that said, this is the program we're instituting. This is what it's going to cover. It's going to relieve all your financial woes in times of illness, but it's not a charity. You're all paying right, for it, right. mostly in the form of taxes, and you're all going to benefit immensely from it. Right, right. Of course, God, I have never been this naysayerish about something. I'm, I'm just playing the devil's advocate. Um, no, I think it's fair. Yes, yeah, because because what I was going to say is like, yeah, but of course they have a history of 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 uh, solidaristic um, funding and a welfare state, um, you know, much more than we do. And I, I'm, I'm curious, this is totally off. Well, no, not totally off topic. I'm, I'm curious if they have the same fear mongering around raising taxes. I mean, obviously they had Margaret Thatcher, so I'm not being delusional about how, um, anti-free market they are or, or, you know, uh, welfare state they are. But, um, 
I guess yeah. I, I'm I I get so scared of the people being afraid of of raised taxes. But what am I saying? Yeah. I'm also like so embracing. So is Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, I know. I was going to say I'm also you know. There's so many things people are allegedly scared of that Sanders gets that Sanders overcomes. Yeah. Um, well. Yeah. What were you saying? I, I, I don't think the the fear mongering about it in the UK is anywhere near the US. Like right. I think we're we're ridiculous about it here, obviously. But right. You know, we do have Social Security, which is right. which comes from a payroll, a very durable payroll tax. Right. Everyone pays into it, you know, and everyone benefits from it. So we do have examples of this. I think Medicare for all would be a far more equal, fair and universal program even. Um, right. So, you know, Bernie goes out there and he says he says, yeah, you know, we're all already paying for this absurdly expensive private system. Why don't we all pay? far, far less for this much better system that's going to relieve all of your stress and worries for the rest of your life about healthcare. Right. Yeah. Um, and people who are, when, when, when people say, I'm just going to be honest about this. I'm like very dumb about this stuff, but, um, I assume some of my listeners are too. When people, oh, that sounds terrible. That's not what I mean. <laughs> I'm not dumb. I'm curious. I'm Medicare for all curious. That's how I, I identify myself. But when people say we're already paying for it, what specifically are, are, are you referring to? Like in what, in what ways are people already paying for this? Is it in their taxes? Is it by buying the insurance? What, what yeah. is it? A combo of all of them? All of the above. You got your Medicare tax, Medicare taxes already. Um, you've got, uh, obviously the premiums that you have to pay to private insurers, which are going, you know, they're, they, they range based on income, but they can be absurdly, absurdly expensive. You got the deductibles, which increase at a crazy rate every year. People are paying, you know, $7,000 deductibles before their insurance even kicks in. You got co-pays that they charge you at the hospital that, you know, come straight out of your pocket you got you got just hospital bills for when you're uninsured you got it, it's right. it's you know it's incredible you're paying so you're paying the public taxes which are fairly small for medicare but then you're paying these insane uh private expenditures and if you even if you get insurance from your employer the money that your employer is spending on private insurance you know ultimately comes out of your wages right Okay, so tell us about compa compare. Um, I guess first tell us about Warren's plan, then compare it to Bernie's, please. In, in your piece, you go through, and I think this is always useful. You go through the what's good about her plan and, and the things that she herself concedes. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when we talk about plans, we should be clear that Bernie's the one with the actual healthcare plan mm -hmm. that says what's going to be covered. Uh, you know, all of that. And then you've got Warren now. Her plan is just a payment plan. It's just about raising funds. Uh, so Warren has been very unclear throughout the campaign about how much she's actually running on Bernie's Senate bill specifically. But to her credit, in this financing plan, it does seem like she's talking about Bernie's bill. Um Although she keeps using language like long-term goal, which is obviously very concerning. Right. Um, so hers just gets a little bit more specific about raising all of the necessary funds. Um, and and Bernie, uh, Bernie has all the actual like policy details about like paying providers and covering dental vision, long-term care. Bernie's Senate team worked out all of those details. Right. And that's, that's the plan itself. Okay. And what is wrong with her plan? What don't you like about it? Well, uh, the head tax she puts on employers, Matt Brunig uh, wrote a very convincing article about this in the People's Policy Project, and I think it was also posted in Jacobin. Um, whereas Bernie's argued for a payroll tax, which is a percentage of an employee's income, like how we do Social Security. Uh, Elizabeth Warren argues for a flat tax that an import employer would have to pay regardless of the employee's income, which would be around $9,500. So whether the employer is paying $100,000 to their employee or $30,000 to their employee, they're going to have to pay that $9,500 tax, which again, like ultimately comes out of the worker's potential wages. So it hurts the $30,000 worker 
far more than it hurts the $100,000 worker. And uh, she also has a loophole for um, employers who classify their workers as an independent contractor, like Uber does, where they don't have full employee rights. If you call your worker an independent contractor, you won't have to pay that tax, uh, which is going to obviously encourage firms to to reclassify all their workers to get around paying this tax, uh, which could, I mean, Matt Brunick calls it a, a potential death spiral situation right. where more, more and more workers get out of paying the tax. So you got to keep raising the tax and it just all crumbles. Did you see Addie Barkin's piece? The I Intercept? did. So what is your, and obviously he's like an amazing person and, um, yeah is like putting his life on the line and is dying of ALS. So, yeah. um, I, but how would you, how do you respond to his arguments? So Adi's incredible. And I think what you're seeing from a lot of Medicare for all world, uh, and I totally get this impulse is to just defend, um, any pro Medicare for all plan that gets out there. So you got Warren and Bernie both saying they're running on Medicare for all. I totally get the impulse to, like defend both of them right. because you don't want to be seen as attacking the idea of the program. Uh, and I understand that, but I've, I've so many concerns about uh, Elizabeth Warren's actual dedication to this idea. I mean, she never talks about it on the stump. Uh, she has avoided all details until now. And even then she's not being explicit about wanting to cover mental health care, reproductive health care, things like that, that I see Bernie as, the obvious choice. And I see all of these decisions uh, between these campaigns to, to release plans and stuff. I see those as like political moves. So when Warren uh, has been taking heat from people saying that Bernie is more clear on this than her, and then she produces a plan to say that she's being clear, uh, I see that a move, as a move to get the one up on Bernie. And I think the most important thing here, if we want to win Medicare for all, is to elect Bernie Sanders as president because he's the one making the political fight for it. So I don't want us to get suckered into a position where we are uh, helping Warren get the upper hand on right. Bernie in this election. Right. Yeah, I find this to be an interesting question because I've, I've said this before. Um, some people... First of all, there's a strategic question. I don't think we can be, I think there's a very easy way to be, well, not easy, but coherent and, and doable way to be critical of Warren without, and I actually really like Liza Featherstone's piece on this, um, and I had her on mm -hmm. to talk about this, among other things, but, you know, how Warren isn't um, Bernie, but she's also not Hillary. Um, yeah. And I also just think that, you know, we can attack her policies without vilifying her. I'm not at all saying you're doing this, by the way. This is something I think about constantly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very involved, and in, I always like to talk about her contribution to Pow Wow Chow, um, uh -huh. this, you know, the cookbook from the 1980s, the charity yeah. cookbook, um, <laughs> which Matt Taibbi and I, on, on my on the podcast that we co-host, um, Useful Idiots, were preparing, were planning to cook it on an episode. But... Um, <laughs> You know, it's it's true. It's like I actually think it's use. It's a bit of a. It's tricky because I, I I've always said that it's good when we hear these people on stage like Beto, R.I.P. But Beto or um, Warren when they embrace Medicare for all. I think it's good that Sanders obviously has shifted the rhetoric around this and uh, to some extent the policy around mm -hmm. this. Um, I think it's this thing where he's both uniquely better than everyone else, mm -hmm. but it's good when we when when other people like spout it out rhetorically because it makes the idea that much more like that much less that much more um palatable or not even yeah. palatable it just makes it the new normal yeah. um and then the flip side of course is the danger that someone else who's not as good on healthcare as he is co-ops it but i do think that and it's a hard line to walk but i think there's usefulness and value in it I totally agree. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. But but something that I that I think we should always keep in mind is that when this campaign started, there were I don't know ten candidates saying they supported Medicare for all. Right. You had Booker, Warren, Kamala, Gabbard, uh, 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 Gillibrand, uh, Yang, Beto. I mean, all these people were right. saying they supported Medicare for all, and then all of them all of them, except for now Warren and Sanders, have backed off and said that actually what they support is a public option right. type program. So the fact that Warren herself hasn't been very 
clear on it, on what her goal is, what her right. timeline is, how she plans to fight for it in her administration. Right. Uh, I think that's a, a pretty big warning flag. And I do think her being on the debate saying I'm with Bernie and I support Medicare for all is hugely valuable. Right. And I think we should credit her for that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we do have to be clear about who the real Medicare for right. all fighter right. and candidate exactly. is. And that's so obviously Bernie. Right. What I really like is actually when she said, and, and it's funny, like, even if we don't credit her for it, this is the other thing. Like, it could be a cynical move on her part, but it still could mm-hmm. be useful and helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like what, when she said that thing about, like, what was it? She, during one of the debates, she's like, people who say that Medicare for all isn't possible are just saying that the, they don't want to fight for it or they're not going to mm-hmm. fight for it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. So maybe if, if needs be, we can use that against her. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, yeah. You know, in a respectful way. Uh, it yeah. is, it's so much harder when, when, when Sanders clearly has so much more. I mean, not that I just do whatever Sanders does, but right. I do trust him, and he clearly has so much more respect for Warren than he does and did for Clinton for uh, eminently good reason. Yeah, um, she's, she's obviously better than yeah, Hillary. I yeah. mean, obviously. Yeah, so it's just an interesting, yeah. But I do get frustrated with the people who just respond to her like, and I'm only saying this because my listeners know me and because you're, you know, uh, you're, you know, I, in front of friends and family, this is not my, like, the thing I say to, to um, warn people or in general, though I kind of do concede it. Uh, you know, I just, I, I get tired of the, she's a shill, you know, mm-hmm. neoliberal shill. It's just not helpful. And there are actually really important things to, talk about and I of course I'm a hypocrite because I try to I can't help but bring up the Native American stuff all the time well that stuff seems pretty yeah, important honestly. it is but, but for me it's almost always comedic so yeah yeah uh, I uh yeah. It's, it's funny I I agree I this is the fourth piece now that I've written about Warren and Medicare yeah. for all uh just because I've been kind of tracking her campaign's evolution on this from the start yeah. and uh the first three I wrote were very critical of Warren, but they weren't like uh, ugly. Right. And uh, so I got a lot of criticism from uh, both from Warren supporters who felt like I was unfairly criticizing her, but then also from uh, like this certain popular that like was what they were. Yeah, they were like really mad at me for not like calling her a shill or right, being yeah. hard enough on right, her or yeah. whatever. But it's like you do you can't just lie when she says when when she said. Uh, I'm with Bernie on Medicare for all. You have to at least acknowledge that, you know? Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Shifting the overton window or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You can keep your you can keep your eyes wide about right. like maybe what exactly she means by that, but right. you can't just like pretend she's never said it. Right. And you can also say that, you know, that they're uh, different and he's better on it and also credit her for being better than everyone else besides Bernie. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, my, my tag at this point is just to focus on like the like the real political obstacles to it and to take note of the fact that only Bernie seems to be actually fighting against those obstacles. Right. Um, so um, as you point out, some some scary language that we see here is long term goal. You said mm-hmm. that she points it out seven times. Mm-hmm. Um, she says she wants to eventually move to a Medicare for all system. Mm-hmm. Um and you, of course, go back to the very important point, which is that um, Warren is technocratic, mm-hmm. proud of having a plan for everything, quick to assure supporters that once she sorts the numbers out, she can bring big structural change. And uh, I had actually uh, John Pat Leary on, who's great. I don't know if you know his book, Keywords, The New Language of Capitalism. Uh, I highly recommend it. And he talks a lot about the, the technocracy um, of, of Warren and... And actually, you know what's interesting? I didn't know this until I spoke to him. The, the word meritocracy was actually um, created in a pejorative way. Hmm. And it was to make fun of, it was basically making fun of the aris. It was a, as making fun of it as like just as bad as the aristocracy, but based on merit. Ah, um, yeah. As And of course, in the United States, and he was a Brit, the guy who came up with that term. But of course, in the United States, because of the way we are, we think that that's, you know, a good <laughs> thing. You know, it's like, Let's have less, um, more deserved uh, <laughs> lack of uh, equality. Yeah, right? yeah. It's funny because it's both ingrained in people's heads that you need to have specific plans for things. 
But people also kind of get that that's not what gets you elected. Yeah. I mean, some people do, but... Um, yeah, well... Yeah. It's this, you know, it's this lie that, that, that we're told that the only reason we haven't achieved free health care in this country is because nobody's been able to work out the numbers yet. Right. You know, so Warren's tack, it's two different approaches between the campaigns. And Warren's tack is to kind of buy into that narrative a little bit and say, okay, well, you know what? I'm a policy expert and I've got a plan for everything. So I'm going to sit down and, and work out the numbers here and I'm going to prove that this can be done. Bernie's plan is to say, this is a ridiculous talking point. What are we doing here? We already know this can be done. We've got the money. Like we need to keep our eyes focused on the on 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 the like insurance industry and the people that are like pouring advertising money into killing this idea. And he does, of course, as you say, he he's very keeps his eye on the on the prize. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's happening with Cap and uh, Warren? Well. <laughs> Like Center for American Progress has been uh, maybe one of the most vocal opponents of single payer health care. And they've they've always taken the angle of, oh, well, you know, we support this idea. Obviously, right. we support the goal of single payer health care, but it's right. just impossible. Right. What so they, they want they, instead they, is universal health care, which is of yeah. course universal under coverage. So they put out this plan about a year ago called Medicare Extra for All, which is right. a, a public option alternative to Medicare for All. And then that's turned into uh, Medicare for America, which was Beto's plan before RIP dropped out. Right. And it's very similar to Buttigieg's plan. So it like it birthed all of these uh, watered down alternatives. But then now that uh, it's sort of Warren and Bernie have emerged as two front runners, two front runners, uh, CAP, who used to be more critical of Warren, is now becoming uh, a lot friendlier toward her. So right. when she released this pay for um, plan, uh, CAP went on Twitter and like just praised it. And uh, Topher Spiro, who's their health policy oh guy, God, who, yeah. who just who just despises single payer health care, is praising Warren for her plan. So there's something pretty fishy going on there. <laughs> right, yeah. seemed like Warren was put out there to, not put out there, but people really tried to use her to, to harm Sanders. Then it seems like mm-hmm. she got a little too good, like too popular, and they and people kind mm-hmm. of started freaking out. Um, I, I think that, you know, a lot of people are just uh, supporting her because they're actually afraid of uh, having Biden in the Oval Office because I think he's mm-hmm. senile. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, what do you? But I think. Do you think like Cap is going to stick with Warren? I think it all depends. I mean, you're right about Biden. He's got like he's got like one year of uh, yeah speech speech ability yeah. left at this point. I think. But I think it all depends on you know who's in the race and who's looking at a front runner. I think if uh, Pete Buttigieg climbed and Pete Buttigieg and Warren were front runners, they would turn on Warren in a heartbeat. Right. And say that she's too radical and Pete Buttigieg is our guy. But with Bernie and Warren is right now the only real alternatives to Biden. They would obviously prefer Warren to Bernie. So they're kind of uh, boosting her a little bit. Right. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much, uh, Tim Timothy Higginbotham. Yep. Um, which sounds like you're related to Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, it's very like, um, British nobility or very something. Very British, right? Yeah. Uh, this is great. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Of course, yeah. That was Timothy Higginbotham. Now I speak to Matt Brunig. So excited to be talking to return guest Matt Brunig. Uh, welcome. Uh, thank you for having me. Of course, yeah. Um, for those who don't know, uh, Matt Brunig is the founder of the People's Policy Project, which is the only, I believe, only small donor supported think tank. That That's correct? right. Yeah. As um, far as I know. As far as you know. And uh, it definitely is the first. We'll put it that way. As far as we know. Uh, he's also, Matt has worked as a lawyer at the National Labor Relations Board and as a policy analyst at the Demos Think Tank. And he's the co-host of the Brunigs with Liz Brunig. Um, and by the way, major drop, uh, bombshell moment to drop. They're married. <laughs> nice, nice try, Brunix, but we see you. I know. Uh, it's very nepotistic. Exactly, yeah. Very nepotistic. Um, 
And uh, it is called The Brunigs, and it's a great podcast, and you can support it on Patreon. You can also support the People's Policy Project on Patreon. And um, we, of course, hope that you will do that. Uh, also, Matt is a contributor to Jacobin. So, Matt, let's. You have you're very prolific. Uh, I say that to some guests, and I always it's always true because I have a lot of prolific guests on. But you're very prolific, and so I was going to have you on to talk about um, Liz Powwow Chow Warren's uh, Medicare for All plan. And then I saw that you have another policy paper that you put out with the Gravel uh, Institute, which uh, I didn't even know existed. So let's see, where, why don't you want to start with the healthcare and then we can move on to the um, newer piece that you just worked on? That yeah, that, sound, that, that sounds good. Okay, great. So you have this piece that you wrote um, at, on your, at, for the People's Policy Project and also uh, Jacobin printed it. Um, and it's called, at Jacobin, it's called um, Elizabeth Warren's Plan to Finance Medicare for All is a Disaster. You also have a version of it called um, Warren's Perpetual Medicare Head Tax is Unworkable and Bad. What do you really think? But I'm bummed. And since writing that, though, you, uh, which is what was published in Jacobin, right? Is that correct? It's like, it's it, it's the same piece that was published in Yeah, Jacobin? yeah, they okay. just they copy just, yeah. over, change the headline. Right, yeah, they repackaged it. Um, mm-hmm. Since then, you have a piece that you put out um, called Warren's Medicare Head Tax would be about $9,500. So you kind of wrote that piece, and then you dug into the numbers a little bit more. Um, so tell us what you don't like about Warren's uh, plan. Yeah, so you know, to kind of get into the issues with Warren's plan, it's useful to take a little bit of a step back and and talk about how Medicare for all plans are usually financed. Um, there are about I don't know seven or eight proposals out there right now, and they all basically follow the same script. The first thing you do is you bring in existing government spending. Um, that usually gets you about fifty-five to sixty percent of what you need. Then you do a bunch of rich people taxes, capital gains, wealth tax, whatever, as much as you can do to really kind of soak them. And then after you've done all that, there's still a third portion that you have to get. Um, and that is sort of the middle class tax, if you will. That's that's the big, uh, you know, boogeyman that 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 is makes Medicare for all impossible or whatever. And so the, the real question in all of these different proposals is what what is your middle class tax going to be? How are you going to structure it? And the most common approach to that is to use income and payroll taxes. And, you know, the long story short of those is basically you'd pay a percent of your income and there might be some exemption like the first $25,000 of income would not be taxed. Um, Warren departs from that normal way of doing it and says, I'm not going to do an income and payroll tax. Instead, I'm going to do an employer head tax. And an employer head tax is basically you go to each employer who has more than 50 employees and you say, I'm gonna charge you X amount of dollars for every worker that you employ. And like you mentioned, and I've tried to sort of ballpark the amount, and I think it's about $9,500. And that's how much every, it doesn't matter if you're if the worker makes $20,000 a year or $200,000 a year, we're gonna charge you the same dollar amount. And the problem with this is, as much as you know, we'll say, well, this is a charge to the employer, we know anytime you charge an employer like this, they're going to pass it through to their employees. I mean, I'm not very good at this stuff, and I'm kind of surprised that more people haven't been making that argument about how it's uh, more regressive. Why, why do you think uh, Warren did what she did, um, came out with this plan? Do you think she actually believes in it? Uh, do you think that it was for policy reasons, po- politics reasons, and how does it compare to Amo Bernie's. Uh, yeah, I th- I think that it was done for messaging reasons only because, you know, w- whether she knows the tax stuff, I don't know exactly. You know, they have tons of advisors. There's tons of issue areas. It's hard to know which one she's plugged into and which one she's delegated off. But they're they have very smart people on that campaign. They know. I'm very sure of the problem with a head tax, but. The thing with the head tax that you can do is you can say, 
uh, we're, we're just charging employers premiums or something similar to a premium. It's not a tax, and it actually it falls on employers, not employees. Um, and that's neither of those are true. Of course, it's a tax. Anytime the government makes you pay money to them, that's a tax. And any charge you put on an employer, if you say, hey, every time you hire an employee, you got to pay us $9,000 a year or $9,500 a year for that employee, the employers are not charities. They're going to take that out of the employee's pay. So it is both a tax and it does fall on workers. Um, but you could see how someone could be led into thinking that it doesn't. Um, and that seemed to be the calculation that they made. Right. Right. Yeah. So again, everyone, so it goes back to this thing, ignorant or uh, disingenuous. Yeah. Yeah. One, uh, one or the other, or, uh, you know, uh, you know, if you like someone, you're lazy (laughs) about checking them, that that sort of thing. Right. And basically this is, is a middle-class tax. It's just not openly presented as one. So it's like an example of how much discourse shapes perception and and policy is this a um a non-starter is it dead in the water is it going to harm bernie's campaign that he's not saying he won't raise the taxes or is it just um a question of of like of changing the discussion yeah so i think it depends on whether bernie comes out and says uh you know no warren actually does have a middle class tax uh, just like i do we all do mine's better than hers um if if he allows it to be the case and if the media kind of proliferate the idea that uh warren has no middle class taxes but bernie does then obviously that's gonna that's gonna hurt bernie uh, even if it's you know maybe false right exactly yeah (laughs) again so the dangerous game is a dangerous question or a dangerous proposition is Bernie too much of a mensch for his own good? He might be, although um, there was a quote I saw uh, someone asked him about this, and he he did say that you know I I like Elizabeth Warren right. a lot. I'm so glad she's for with, but then he then he did say, but she uses uh, what you might call a head tax, and I use some more progressive right. uh, income and payroll taxes. So uh, that seems like where he's going to go with yeah. it, which I think you you have to. You can't concede that framing when it's not true, and then exactly. also cast, cast you know, because that's the weird thing. And I find this weird with Bernie is like, on one hand, I get it. You know, Warren's been a big ally of his in the Senate, but on the other hand, this plan is put out there and yeah she doesn't badmouth you by name right but this this is an attack on you or an effort to trick people into thinking that that you raise middle class taxes and she doesn't right and you both do right so yeah that's at some point you can like someone but if they're if they're hitting at you you, you gotta hit back right you know? yeah exactly yeah and you don't have to personalize it and make it a vicious attack not that he ever does that but yeah you can just say that it actually is a middle class tax and it just happens to be more regressive. Um, so Bernie, when you listen to this podcast, you can use that. Um, full disclosure, I want you to know, Matt, that um, I did interview Bernie on my other podcast, Useful Idiots, which you should come on, that I host with, uh, co-host with Matt Taibbi. And um, I offered to be his running mate, Bernie's running mate. So I just uh-huh. want to say that because, you know, as a journalist, I have to be responsible. And just like I exposed your relationship with, inappropriate relationship with Liz Brunig, wife. Um, I want to be as uh, you know uh, honest about my own conflicts of interest. Um, okay. So there, we got that on the table. Um, anything else that you think that people are missing out on in the discussion about the um, the the healthcare plans? Uh, I think that's the big one. You that's know, the big one, uh, th- yeah. I think that's that's where the debates are going to be. There are some smaller issues that are. Actually, I think could be problems with both of their plans. I don't know. Ber- Bernie hasn't Bernie hasn't really put a plan out yet. I mean, he put out those funding options like a few years ago, and maybe he'll put one out now. I don't know. Uh, you know, he keeps saying like this is silly. I don't, I don't right. need to do this, which I kind of agree with. Right. Um, but one thing here is uh, the thing that keeps hamstringing some of these plans, and Warren f- sort of fell right into it is. This idea that we have to spare small business owners right, yeah. of any of the cost, and it's like 
that's just that's just dumb. Yeah. <laughs> like, we, you know, the, the it's just why why do we always have to carve out small business owners? We carve out small business owners for everything. They don't have to follow if if you have like less than fifteen employees, you don't have to follow the ADA or the Civil Rights Act or you have less than 50 employees you don't have to provide insurance or pay this head tax it's like this just creates unfairness like broadly and also just creates a lot of weird behavior where okay if you have less than 50 employees you don't have to pay this tax well what's to stop people from reorganizing with less than 50 employees you know uh or breaking their business up and yeah and and Bernie had one one of his proposals, though it's unclear how committed he was to it because he just had a whole list of options. So you could never really pin him down on one or the right. other. Right. Yeah. In which he he exempts the first two million dollars of a business's payroll from a tax, mm-hmm. which is a little bit better, but still, like, why why bother with that kind of stuff? Um, but that's not the big thing. The big thing is this taxes badly designed and we have alternatives that are much better and these are the alternatives that almost every other plan uses so you know it's a weird weird move on her and that seems just completely calculated on can i get one over on people you know yeah yeah and respond to the question the constant question by debaters will it raise taxes on the middle class right yeah and in a very cute way and so because she actually answers these questions correctly but she's always a little hesitant about them. Like, I don't know. I feel like she could be a bit more forceful. But when she was asked these questions in the debate, she's like, this tax thing you're obsessed with right. is, is you're way off the mark, right? It doesn't matter whether it's a tax, a premium, a deductible or whatever. What matters is how much you have to pay out of your pocket. And that's right. going to go down under my plan. Right. And I, I don't know if that'll work. I'm not a, a political communications you know, expert, but that's the correct line. And it seems like... You could get that through someone's head if you tried hard enough. Like, right, do you yeah. want to have more money? Would you right. like to have more money? Okay, here you go. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and she also, it's funny because she says great things. She's like, you know, when people say they can't get it done with Medicare for all or with whatever it is, it doesn't mean it's not because you can. It's because they're not willing to fight for it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, I think her uh, her support of Medicare for all has been really like very helpful. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> because. Yeah. You know, there's this whole, she, you know, there's a whole group of people who are, don't like Bernie, but do like Warren. And since they like Warren, they've become way more open to this. I mean, you see like Paul Krugman or right. David Lee. Like these are people who've written really like vicious, like anti-Medicare for all stuff. And then you read their pieces on Warren and they're, they've completely softened up on it. They're, they're, you know, and then even, even like the Center for American Progress, the great, oh the great gosh. evil of yeah. the think tank world, yeah. they're out doing comms for, um, for Warren's plan, you know, uh, Topher Spiro's on Twitter every day being like, this is totally good and reasonable and right. fine. Um, and they've been anti-Medicare for all forever. So I think it's a good development, even if she kind of went off in the ditch a little bit. Right. Here. Right. I mean, I think a lot of Sanders supporters get upset, um, because they're like, oh, you know, she's not the real deal. Um, uh, but I think that that's a bit, you know, we have to acknowledge that Sanders is better and is the real deal. But it's also helpful, like you're saying, to change the kind of the discourse or the shift to over and window on the issue. Yeah. Um, then we just have to sure. hold people accountable to that. Yeah. Or hold yeah. their feet to the fire. So, yeah, if, if so. like, yeah. You can't, you know guess what a lot of the politicians that eventually support medicare for all are not going to be uh, the real deal right i mean yeah, if, exactly, we, if we right. ever get it done so the fact that that's happening already to some degree if you if that's your view on warren which i think you know maybe maybe not i don't know you know i'm not in her head um you're like hey that's success and to the extent that yeah. her maybe cynical adoption of it exactly. brings, e- brings even more people on like that's how it's gonna right exactly work. so yeah it shows we're winning um, although, of course, according to the New York Times and basically every um, outlet, um, remotely centrist or liberal, uh, that every victory for Bernie Sanders is actually a sign that he's no longer needed. Um, but the good news is that now that Beto has dropped out, uh, you know, Sidney Ember famously, uh, at least to, to people who are critical of Ember, this is one of her greatest hits when she said that uh, Bernie was outflanked on the left by uh, Casio Cortez. Presley and Beto. 
And Beto, okay. Yeah, yeah. So now that he's out, we got Bernie's back in the back in the left corner. Yeah, he's no, no longer the relative centrist that that uh, Beto made him. There was this whole uh, cycle of the Beto stuff when it when he came out. I remember Jonathan Chait had a piece in which he was like, uh, "The Bernie people and the Bernie world is terrified of Beto because uh, yeah, he, right. <laughs> he's going to yeah. show that actually their support is empty and all they like are." you know youthful candidates or something like even though bernie's not youthful it was sort of a goofy take yeah but, yeah it's but not very imagine that imagine jonathan chait not being um you know not having integrity or, or consistency in, in one of his takes i know it's so it's very surprising yeah we call that a shake a shake <laughs> take okay yeah, that's just, good you know, yeah as of now we do yeah um and talk about your uh your new uh policy paper that you just came out with with the Gra- Gravel Institute and uh which I what is the Gravel Institute by the way Yeah okay so the Gravel Institute uh you know Mike Gravel ran ran for president at least in the proxy of those of uh, the uh, Henry and David his uh, teenage right. uh, uh, campaign advisors or whatever and you know he raised a good chunk of money doing that but they you know they didn't really spend all that much of it you had to raise money to get on the debate stage and that was sort of their whole gambit was to try to get on the debate stage they failed but they still have a bunch of money and so uh, what do you do with the money there's only so much you're allowed to do with the money under uh federal election law and one of the things you can do is create a think tank and so that's that's what they've done with it um and so they just launched it and i guess the paper was sort of their launch and i just sort of work with them on the paper um you know they financed half of it i financed half of it and you know collaborated on its content basically um so you know we'll see hopefully great things great things will come out of the grill institute either in collaboration with us or, or other people um right or the cato institute <laughs> yeah hopefully hopefully they'll stay away from that yeah yeah just opening the uh, options um and so what does this paper say yeah we we put out these papers it seems like once every two or three months um that's that's sort of like the meat of people's policy projects output, uh, I guess. And the paper is called the leisure agenda. And the premise of the paper is just Americans are way overworked. Um, and you know, we can show this by looking at all sorts of comparable countries. Uh, and we, you know, if you look at other countries, you look at how much we work, we work, you know, tens of billions of do- of hours more than we should each year like in aggregate so how can we cut those hours how can we you know reduce the amount of time we work and then all this is very comparative so it's like well let's look at countries who have done it what what did they do you know and you know long story short you know uh, paid leave paid parental leave paid sick leave better unemployment benefits mandatory vacation not mandatory for the worker but mandatory for employers to (laughs) provide vacation you must go to disney world Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um uh, mandated sick leave, uh, better retirement benefits. We, we've seen actually all, you know, people over the age of 65, uh, you know, we've gone from like 12% of them are working to like 18% of them are working because they can't afford to retire. So there's a lot of things you can do to basically just help people, you know, spend less time at work if they are workers with vacation and sick leave and that kind of thing. And, and to stay out of the workforce longer, um, if they need to retire or maybe they're unemployed and they want to spend extra time looking for, you know, the right job. And through that process, we can, we can suck tens of billions of hours of our time back from the workforce and, and, and into our own free time to do what we want with it. And that's, that's the gist of it. Uh, Ryan Cooper is the author of the paper. I, I mean, I, I was heavily involved in, in the whole process, but he, he's the author of it. Um, you know, it's very pretty by the way. I know uh, John White is yeah, our designer. Yeah. He's he he's a genius. Yeah, and he's all the stuff, you know. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know. I, I wasn't too surprised. I mean, I kind of knew the, the the general outlook going in, which is why I thought it would be a good topic. Um, but I think a lot of people could, you know. I think some of the stats are very shocking to some people. You know, if you if you look at how much we work relative to how much sort of we should be working based on how productive our economy is because you see this relationship across you know pretty much every economy in which we have good data the more you know productive you are on an hourly basis like as you get better with your machines and technology and so on work is always being reduced you know people take take the that extra productivity and they use it to get more free time and 
the U.S., relative to where it should be, American workers are working like 270 hours more each year than than they ought to be uh, based on productivity and, you know, like than they would be if they were in Germany or, you know, definitely France where they, they hardly work at all, it seems like. Um, and uh, that's a lot, you know, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's uh, more than six weeks. I mean, imagine an extra six, six and a half weeks of vacation. That's, that's what you're talking about. So, so this is, I mean, how do you see, by the way, this is kind of a meta question, but the role of the people's policy project, because you look at what's happening, you explain things, right? You provide data and then you have an agenda. Yeah. We have policy proposals. Right. And do you ever, I mean, it's one of these things where, um, you know, there's so much presentation of statistics or studies or polls as if, as like a fi the final word or, or, or as objective, but it's always a question of how you frame something or what you even document, right? Or what data you even collect. Because yeah. that in itself is a decision, right? Right, yeah. And uh, what range of possibilities you consider. Right. Um, so what do, do you, are there any examples of, of like, people kind of throwing around polls in an irresponsible way um, or dishonestly using statistics. Any examples that stick out for you, stand out for you, that drive you crazy? Um, yeah, I mean, we don't focus as much on polling as some of the other organizations, but some of the polling around Medicare for All is, uh, has really annoyed me. And I actually did get, as much as I say I don't, po I don't do polling, I've, I've, I've done I guess what three polls at this yeah. point uh, some of organizations like data for progress does seems sure. like they do one every week right. um and you know they'll do this stuff with medicare for all where they'll you know they'll they'll say oh do you support medicare for all right and then they'll say they'll ask them sort of very negatively framed questions about it to see if they can get their support down so and one of them is uh do you support medicare for all you know even though it'll mean that you lose your you know current insurance or whatever you know oh, support goes down a lot right um and the problem i've always found with this question is that in our status quo system where you have employer insurance you lose that also all like very frequently every time you change jobs every time every year if your employer wants to change the insurance to somewhere else um like that's happening all the time so i finally got someone to pull a question which was do you support allowing employers to eliminate or change an employee's insurance against that employee's wishes which is just a description of how our current system works right and when they pulled this question it was emerson that pulled it so a very reputable uh, uh, entity they got uh, seventy percent opposed, only eleven percent support. Wow! Um, so it's like, you know, support for our current system. At least one very important aspect of the system is only eleven percent. Right. And it's the same. It's basically the same question as they ask about Medicare for all, where they want to really juice up the fact that you know you will have to lose your insurance when we're switching you over to, by the way, a much better plan. Um, that, like that's what they're really key on. It's like. Well, key on that in our current system. Yeah, exactly. Key on yeah. that in in Biden's plan. He's still going to allow employers to take away your insurance whenever they want. So right. Well, Buttigieg Edge and so on. Like, so you know that's a very, I think, clear example of, oh, you're you're choosing what to pull and what to input. Like, it occurs to you that ooh, we could ask people if they lose their insurance and maybe that'll get them going. It doesn't occur to you. Well, maybe we could ask that about the current system as well and get a comparison. Right, you know? exactly, yeah. Um, and then what's scary yeah. about that is that people who are not cynical just hear that, right? And then people, the cynical people who use that, it's like, sorry, it just doesn't pull well. It's not popular. Yeah, it's not yeah. viable. Oh, yeah, no, the, I mean, if you, you know, the, the, the Chates or the Ezra Kleins or whatever, they take that poll where you don't just ask if you support Medicare for all. Cause if you just ask that you get, you know, right. 50, 60, 70, you know, depend, you know, you can get pretty good support. If you just have that, they'll use that one where they add in the little extra tidbit about how you're going to lose your health care or whatever. And then they'll just assert that's the truth. Oh, well, actually it's, it's actually unpopular. And there's right. no, they don't even like go into the debate. Well, is that a good question? Is that fair? What they just, that's that's what it is that right. the percent that comes out of that that's the real percent right it's, you know yeah very dangerous um because we often kind of like um output i mean i do this i like outsource i farm out expertise or the opposite i i can't study everything in depth 
uh, despite yeah. my, you know, how my, how it seems that I do, listeners. I know, I know it seems like I'm a walking encyclopedia, but no, it's true. Like you can't, not everyone is going to look at the, the, at even the question asked, right? So it's just a very dangerous way of, um, it's, it's, it's like, I mean, this is an issue with media too. It's in many ways, it's much more dangerous when you read like a Sidney Ember or Jonathan Martin piece, um, at the times, um, or a reported piece, quote unquote reported piece of Washington post versus, uh, Jennifer Rubin, because Jennifer Rubin wears her insane, um, reactionary politics on her sleeve. Right. Right. So it's kind of like the, you know, polls are supposed to be the ultimate objective source. And of course, they're very shaped and framed and and um, a lot goes into the 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 actual even the question. Um, where do the other candidates um, like uh, proposals fall from from good to bad? What what so are they? Then Warren I'll- and Sanders have the same plan in terms of this is going to be a program where there's no cost sharing, comprehensive benefits like the benefit is the same. They diff. They differ. Yeah, they differ on the financing. Bernie's financing, insofar as he relies on income and payroll taxes, better than Warren. So I guess you go number one, Bernie. Number two, Warren. After that, it gets actually kind of interesting because Biden is the last, uh, for sure. Um, he doesn't even insure everyone in his plan. There's still three million people who are un- uninsured. Uh, which just seems crazy to me that you don't even have like a universal, at least, you know, access kind of thing. Uh, um, and so then it just be Buttigieg or, or Kamala Harris. I don't count any others. I don't know. They just seem irrelevant to me at this. And I don't re- haven't really looked into them. But Kamala has this plan that is um, Medicare ad- Advantage for All. Um, Medicare Advantage, for those who don't know, in our current system, if you're, you know, old, you get Medicare, but you're also allowed to opt into something called Medicare Advantage, where you basically, you know, get a Medicare-like plan from a private insurer like United Health or Aetna or whatever. And, I mean, they're basically the same policies and the government still pays for them, but the insurance companies get to take a profit off of it. I mean, it's, it's really kind of silly. Um, but that she kind of got uh, blocked in because she remember she, she endorsed Medicare for all. And then she said she was for it. And like, that was going to, that was part of her cynical strategy, I guess, to become president. But then she's, I don't know. She just sort of got stuck in the mud and decided, Oh, I'm going to do Medicare advantage for all. So, so then we'll, we'll still have private health care, but it, it'll be Medicare. So it's still Medicare for all. And it's just kind of a disaster of a proposal. It doesn't really make sense. And she pushes all the financing for it off for 10 years so that she can sort of say, because, you know, they usually score these things in 10-year windows, Uh which is kind of arbitrary. But so she puts the financing outside of that window and then says, I don't raise middle, I don't raise any tax. I mean, I don't know. Right, because, yeah, she won't be president then, yeah. Yeah. It's it's so strange. Um, but, you know, I don't know, on some level, it's somewhat closer to Medicare for all if if you could even conceive of implementing it, which is a little bit hard. And then Buttigieg is just public option. I mean, the interesting thing about Buttigieg's plan, which is also basically was Cap's plan, though Cap has completely abandoned Buttigieg and is supporting Warren now, uh, is he has a public option um, and... But he also, he does a few things first. So everyone who's currently on Medicaid right now, they'll get enrolled into Medicare, which is a big step. And Medicare is better coverage um, than Medicaid. Everyone who's on the Obamacare exchanges get enrolled into Medicare. So like right off the bat, he's pulling like 60 million people who are currently either on Medicaid or on the Obamacare exchanges, and he's putting them on Medicare, which, you know, I don't know, eight years ago would have been seen as like a pretty radical proposal you know what i mean like and but but now it's sort of a a centrist proposal right uh, uh, so i don't know it's kind of interesting but i guess you would probably put that as behind kamala's even though kamala's is incoherent it at least is aiming to do more than he did right so. yeah it gestures towards that yeah as opposed to mayor pete who um what did he say he wants burn we have to have humility when it comes to Medicare for all, I think that was his quote. 
Um, what does that mean? I have no idea. I mean, Pete stuff is like, he's basically like a smarter Bush, I feel like. I mean, he's a lot smarter, obviously, but I kind of feel like he uses these folksy platitudes that mean nothing. Um, oh, yeah. You know, like, yeah, I, I just thought of that. I, I, don't, I haven't walked around really testing that both, theory, but yeah. They they both uh, had a sort of fake military. Oh, yeah. As right. Well. Right. Yeah. So. Um, and both had uh, fathers who, uh, with with a lot of political ideas, uh, one being the head of, <laughs> former head of the CIA and president, and the other being a Gramscian scholar. Yeah. Which is, uh, yeah. Um, a devolution in both cases yeah, from their seriously, father. Yeah, seriously, yeah, yeah. A fail, fails on. Well, yeah, Matt, thank you so much. As usual, great talking to you. And um, I'll link to all the your websites and also that piece that Ryan Cooper wrote that... Um, you know, you, you guys birthed at a triple P. All right. Sounds no. good. I'll... Okay, great. Thanks so much. Right. Great. Bye. Thanks. Bye, man. Thanks so much for listening to the Katie Helper Show. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show to hear the Patreon only interview I do with Matt Brunig in which he responds to your questions on Twitter and talks to me about the Bernie Bro narrative and Working Families Party. The Katie Helper Show is edited by Ted Reedy. Our theme song is by the band Cordova. <laughs>